Hello everyone! Welcome back to the Constructional Approach to Animal Welfare and Training Podcast. We are your host, I am Masa. Hi everybody, and I'm Sean. We hope that you're cuddled up with your animal companions and ready for this exciting episode. Before we begin, we have an announcement. Please make sure to register for the third annual cow conference that's happening from July 25th to July 30th. And we have Barbara Heinreich as a keynote speaker and returning speakers, Dr. TV Joe Lane and Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. And ourselves. <laughs> and the early bird registration is available until May 31st. And if you are working for animal shelter, rescue organization, animal hospital, zoo, aquarium, or if you're currently a student or a Cal Premium member, you will receive 50% discount for the entire six days. That's right. And that means for six days of amazing talks with that discount, it comes to just $90. So please make sure to sign up and get that early bird special. That's right. And that's actually the perfect segue into the topic for today's show, where we will be talking about constructional affection and how it's, um, you know, applied with different, different species of animals. And one thing that I do want to touch on right before we jump into this is that constructional affection is a procedure that's designed for animals that are already seeking us out and looking for our interaction. This is for animals that are you know, perhaps overly friendly that are already approaching us. We do not use this procedure for animals that are still fearful or shy or, or aggressive towards us. Um, we only use this for those dogs that are like barking at us, jumping on us, scratching at our legs and those kinds of things, maybe nipping our clothes. Um, you know, we even use it with separation anxiety and other behaviors too, but it's for those animals that are already friendly and seeking us out. For those horses, it might be the ones that are maybe getting too much into your space. Yeah, getting and, pushy. Yeah, accidentally, you know, pushing you with their head or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, for tortoises, it might be those ones like causing a traffic jam in <laughs> front of you to get your attention and you know, climbing over each other to get to you. And so it's for animals that are already approaching us on their own, seeking us out. And so that's when we use constructional affection. But an interesting thing about this, um, you know, reason why I said it was a good segue is because we were just talking about the membership a minute ago and the discount for the, for the upcoming conference. But um, we have members in there that are, you know, doing different projects as part of Cout Lab and the membership program. And there's a big interest in making systematic procedures like we have already for dogs and like Masa has made already for horses, but for all sorts of other species. People are looking at applying this with birds and, like I mentioned a second ago, tortoises and all sorts of other interesting animals. And the interesting thing to consider is that, you know, with constructional affection, specifically the, the interaction guidelines, what we're really focusing on is really the application of affection, of affection on a conjugate reinforcement schedule. And Masa, you're, you're an expert I love this. on conjugate <laughs> reinforcement. I don't know anyone's tracked down and read as much research on this as you. 
So, um, you know, we do have an episode where we briefly, you know, kind of glossed over conjugate reinforcement, you know, in our quick 20 minute episode. But mm-hmm. could you give an even shorter description of yeah. what conjugate reinforcement is? Yeah. So the conjugate reinforcement schedule is coined by Ogden Lindsley, another pioneer in behavior analysis. And then he did a lot of research with humans using this schedule and then found a lot of, for me, for us, it was a gold like it's a great lesson that we should be learning and then maybe applying when it's needed and when it's appropriate and the definition of conjugate reinforcement schedule is that reinforcer whatever reinforcer that you are using is continuously available so there is no moment where the reinforcer is present and absent it's always available And that magnitude or amount or duration of that reinforcer changes as the rate or form of other physical dimension of behavior change. So sometimes the reinforcer, the level of the reinforcer is available, but in a different level, it changes as as the behavior change. And, you know, talking about how important it is, one thing that Ogden had noticed or noted in Mm -hmm. his research was that... uh, just about all social interactions are, right. are those that are, you know, are delivered on a conjugate reinforcement schedule. Another good example is watching a television show, watching a movie, driving a car. These conversation. Are, yeah, yeah, conversation. Mm-hmm. These are all beautiful examples of a conjugate reinforcement schedule. That's right. And, and that's really what we're doing in the interaction guidelines by the animals different behavior the responses that they're giving us we change the amount of this contact this affection that we're providing them that's right and in the interaction guideline what is beautiful is that the dog their moment-to-moment behavior changes our behavior so there is no delay between the dog's behavior and our behavior it kind of synchronizes and then through that we are shaping or going to the direction where we find we and also dogs or horses or tortoise find mutually enjoyable interaction. That's right. And, you know, this conjugate reinforcement schedule, you know, the, the cool thing about exactly what Masa was describing this, this moment to moment, you know, realization of how, wow, my behavior, you know, it, it totally controls, you know, how much and how long I'm getting, you know, this reinforcer. It's really beautiful. And Ogden noted this in his research too, that it really makes it an ideal schedule to like teach a new rule, so to say. And this is another really cool thing about the conjugate reinforcement schedule, being that that reinforcer is is always available there on some level. That's right. It it prevents, you know, any extinction coming in and being a major part of that program or or something that we have to worry about um, as much as we do with a lot of other reinforcers that we haven't seen applied in in a conjugate reinforcement schedule. And so the big question that, you know, a lot of the members are working with is, is how can we achieve this conjugate reinforcement schedule using affection with different species? But there's also been this big talk about how we can actually apply conjugate reinforcement schedules using different reinforcers to try and make our training and our, like when we're first teaching a rule, more errorless, like we're able to achieve with conjugate reinforcement schedules and affection the way that we've demonstrated it in the interaction guidelines. But some big questions that come up when we're considering applying, you know, this approach with different species is 
what target behaviors are we going to be looking for? That's right. That's a good question. That's a very constructional question. What's the terminal repertoire that you are reaching towards? <laughs> that's right. So that's a good question. Yeah. And and you know when I was doing this with dogs, um, I shouldn't say I. It was it was myself. It was Chase Owens. It was Doctor Jesus Rosales Ruiz, and and just about everyone that had been in Orca over the like four years that we were that we were developing it, but. It seemed like that kind of came easy with dogs because of the way that dogs come equipped to move. Like yeah. they, they, they walk up to you. So that seemed like one good criteria, like dogs approaching and just standing on their feet. Like that's a good thing. And yeah. then, you know, sitting, it, it's a logical next step from there. So we give a little bit more for that and lying down and kind of melting. And it was a logical progression, but like a tortoise, like you're going to be waiting a long time for that guy to sit. <laughs> Same with horses, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so depending on the species that we're talking about, uh, the, the target behaviors, birds too, especially, that was one we were just talking about in, in lab not too long ago. Um, you know, what are going to be the target behaviors that we're going to look for that's going to dictate how our responses are going to change, you know, in relation to that? And, and also related to this is how we actually share affection. That's right. Um, you know, for, you know, not all animals is two hands coming at them, at, at least initially going to be a completely, you know, wonderful and great thing. Like if you're a teeny tiny finnick fox and your head's, you know, barely bigger than a you know, ping pong ball or, you know, maybe a lime, <laughs> mm. um, you know, having these two monster hands, you know, and coming down at you, it, it might not be the most pleasant thing in the world. And, you know, especially like if we're maybe talking about like a tiny bird or, or even a tortoise, you know, yeah. having a, you know, hand coming straight at the head might be a little bit off putting. And so you might just be sharing affection with your fingers at first, you know, just your fingertips. And maybe only working up to a couple of fingers, you know, under the wing or something like that. But we're going to have to consider this. How is our affection going to actually look in these situations? And like I was just referring to, you know, with the tiny animals and big animals, it can be, it can be quite different. And so what I would like to kind of change gears to right now is, is go straight to a, a wonderful systematized procedure for constructional affection that Masa developed when she was doing her master's thesis, where she considered all of these things when applying this procedure with horses. So the first question we can ask is, how can we program our affection to be working as a reinforcer? And here, the affection is, we have the same definition as the construction of affection with dog. It's petting and gentle scratching, stroking, and other physical, similar physical contact. And another point to remember is that just because we are petting the horse doesn't mean that that petting can, is working as a reinforcer. We have to make sure that we are programming so that the petting is actually working as a reinforcer. Yeah, and, and that doesn't mean that, like, our affection isn't, you know, like reinforcing already on some level, you know, for the, for the dog, because undoubtedly you know, that does reinforce other behaviors. But as far as it being a tool that's effective for shaping and maintaining new behaviors in a training situation, much like how we typically see food, um, affection has to actually be programmed that way. Um, much like food, actually, that's a, actually a perfect analogy I can <laughs> use here because, you know, our animals eat food every day too. 
and it and it reinforces some you know local behaviors there undoubtedly but for it to be something that we want to use as a training tool we actually we go through specific programming steps to teach the dogs that that's a reinforcer that we're using now in this training situation and that's also no different this is a you know i guess a fun behavior analytic little tidbit for our behavior analysis fans out there but um skinner did the same exact thing with his rats and and birds that he had put in his skinner boxes he um in his papers you can read about the magazine training that he did and Basically, he, he didn't just put the rats and the birds in these boxes and, you know, hit play on a program and then all of this stuff that we read about fell out of it. it. He didn't do that. He actually put them in there, did this magazine training to teach them exactly where the food was, you know, how they were going to access it, you know, the timing on these things and, and put them through the programming just like we do as animal trainers prepping our animals to receive food as a reinforcer. And so we, if we want to use our affection and that same capacity, we need to do something there too to teach them how to access it and how to, you know, control this reinforcer. That's right. And interaction guidelines specifically does that. So with the interaction guideline with equines, we do that and we want to set up an environment so that the horses have other choices. They can go groom with other horses. They can eat, they can drink, they can sleep under the tree. But we want to make sure that they are approaching us on their own. And when they approach us, we will provide affection. And after they experience that, only when, when they approach us, they are getting affection. And we will know that when they approach us, they are approaching us to obtain affection. So you walk into the pasture and the horse started noticing you and start walking towards you. What you can do is to offer our hands and showing it to the horses. And this offering hands really signals that affection is available if you approach yeah, and I, and I think it can also help with a few other things, being that when we offer our hands like that, it, it also gives the horse like a target to come to. Because often I know a large concern when working with horses or interacting with them is that they sometimes crowd your space, and that can be pretty dangerous for a really big animal because if they even just step on your foot, like, you know, that can hurt pretty good when they pancake your foot. And so sometimes it's really helpful to have them, you know, get used to, you know, coming to that hand target that is safely in front of you. That way you can kind of help give them a space to be in that is appropriate for both of you. That's right. So when the horse comes uh, and, and then they approach within proximity, you will start petting and the part that... And what is proximity? That's right. Yeah. Uh, we use the word within arm's reach for dog, but we changed it to within proximity. That is the distance of you taking one step plus arm's reach. And we changed that distance because the horses are larger animal than dogs. So we want to make sure they have a little freedom, li little space between yeah. me and the equines. Good idea. That's right, yeah. So when we start petting, and then if they stay within proximity for 5 to 10 seconds while we are petting, we will add our second hand and start petting. And as the horse knows that, oh, all I have to do is to approach and stay within proximity, 
They will, we will have this, we can share this affection. They will start cuddling you. They will close the distance with any part of the body and cuddling and nuzzling. And they may start offering other parts of the body to be petted. And as we do that, we have more better, they, they will learn better way to ask for and re- continue to receive affection. Yeah, and you know, one important thing to keep in mind too is that when Masa and I meet horses that are moving a lot and, and aren't super calm mm. and, and really predictable around you, um, I don't recommend doing these interaction guidelines and, and free contact right. open space with them. When Masa and I meet critters that, that we don't know as well, especially, you know, even if they appear calm at first, when I'm first meeting these horses and first doing the interaction guidelines, I like to do it on the other side of the fence Protective. from the pasture. Yeah. So they can go, like Masa is saying, you know, they can go to their water and chase birds, go play with the other horses, do whatever it is they want to do, or they can come hang out along the fence line with me where I'll practice this interaction. And once when I get to know the horse a little bit and I can predict a little bit more and I, I know how they do, um, then I'll, you know, go inside the pasture and, and I'll, you know, repeat the same process. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's an important point. If you don't know the animal, it's better to do it through protective contact. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, just one thing I do love about this idea about having them be in their open pastures that so often you know, we do turn to changing that environment to, you know, make our reinforcers, so to say, more potent. So we might take them out of that pasture and put them in a circle pen to do our training or, or, you know, take our dogs, for example, sometimes, and we put them in really isolated areas to to do our training. And not that that's a, a bad, you know, thing, anything like that. But to me, it's just, that's not necessarily where I want those behaviors to occur. And so for me and you, especially with a lot of our horses and a lot of other people out there, the target is really to be just kind of hanging out with the horse. And this is the way that we interact together. The interaction guidelines for the dogs are the same. It's about this day-to-day interaction, how we hang out with each other. And so I like to train it in those natural situations and allow them to have the other competing contingencies that are present and still be making their own choice. And that's one of the cool things about how I think we frame and talk about choice and should maybe do a podcast mm-hmm. episode on that because I could run out like our, <laughs> you know, the remaining time that we have here <laughs> going on and on about choice and how we view it within a constructional context. Because this is a subject matter that Dr. Goldiamond did cover pretty extensively in his literature. And, and one of, I want to um, add on to that. The reason why we want to do um, set up in the environment where they have different choices that mean that they can do other behaviors to obtain other consequences. And one of those consequences is that they approach us to get affection. It's great assessment if they have within this, giving this a range of choices or other behavior that leads to other consequences and they are allocating their behavior towards us. That's a good assessment that what we are doing is reinforcing for them at that moment. So to assess our behavior, really program, it's good to set up in that environment and then ask the horse, what do you want right now? Oh, well said. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, it's a good assessment environment. Yeah. So just to sum up interaction guidelines with equines, when the equines start approaching us, we will show our hands to them. 
And we will wait until they approach. And then when they approach within proximity, we will start petting and scratching. We can start talking to them with one hand, pet or, pet or scratch with one hand. And if the equine stay there for five to 10 seconds, we will start adding our second hand and we will pet or scratch with both hands, the part that they are presenting to us. And at any moment when the equine start pushing you so that you are out of balance or start biting or walking away, we will discontinue, discontinue petting or scratching. And then we will wait until they stop engaging this baby behavior. And the moment that they stop those uh, behavior and then start doing desirable behavior, we will start petting with one hand. And at any moment, if the equine stays for five to 10 seconds, we will pet with two hands. And when they start cuddling, nuzzling, and offering different parts of the body, we will keep petting with both hands. And we will continue to do this interaction guideline until the equines can stay and receive affection continuously for at least 30 seconds. And then that is a good goal and a good stepping stone to move to affection loop. Yeah, and the affection loop, we would, you know, need to do a whole nother episode because we're nearly out of time here. But um, the affection loop looks much like, actually, I would have to say exactly <laughs> like what it looks like with the dogs. Yeah. And you can train, in fact, many of the same kinds of things. You can, one important thing that Moss and I do often with the horses we work with because they live in, you know, herds of other horses is we actually use the affection loop just to teach them how to be patient and take turns because there's only one masa out there and there's a lot of horses and <laughs> and it's going to take some time, you know, for masa to get to you sometimes. And so we like to teach them to, you know, be patient and wait their turn for affection. And we do that with the loop. But you can also teach your horses cues. And that was the cool thing about masa's thesis. One of the cool things was that she actually taught her horses how to stay and come on cue using her affection as the reinforcer. But um, one really interesting thing that I just want to touch on here is, you know, Masa was talking about how, you know, we get to the point in the interaction guidelines where we just start scratching and patting whatever part of the body that the yeah. horse happens to be presenting us. And, you know, horses are individuals, just like dogs, just like people. Turns out even just like cockroaches, there's a funny mm. thing about that. They actually have individual food preferences and things like that. So, you know, critters themselves tend to be individuals amongst their population. And what we see through interacting with the horses in this manner is that they really learn how to maximize yeah. <laughs> reinforcement for them. Yes. Where, you know, in Moss's thesis, one funny thing is if you look at her data from the horses before and like as we started the interaction guidelines and how they were behaving afterwards, um, it, it's really funny how you can see that the horses ended up individualizing these guidelines themselves mm -hmm. where they would... Some horses would be spinning around continuously, <laughs> like, you know, get my butt cheek, get my shoulder, get some neck, get some back. And you'd see them constantly shifting and giving different sides to Masa. Then there were other horses that were just like, you know, I just really like it when you scratch my butt. Yeah. And they would just stand still with that butt facing towards <laughs> you. And if you move, the butt would be backing up, you know, wherever you are. And so the, the horses, they learn, you know, through doing the interaction guidelines like this, they really learn and they can communicate to you really how it is that they really want to, you know, get pieces of this interaction. And, 
I'm sure you guys just heard you back here <laughs> saying hi to everybody. But one thing I want to say that it's it's great that they ha- can offer you here this part, this part. But you have to be cautious when they are offering their hind area. You yeah. have to know where you are standing because don't we are stand doing behind in the, the horse. Exactly, exactly. Keep yeah. yourself safe, and then if you think that the free contact is not a really good and a concern, you you should go back to the. Protective contact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But one thing I want to say is that this horse Claudius, when we started uh, the the first interaction guy, like he was he was kept he kept approaching me, so I would give it affection. But he was kind of stay like statue, but towards the end he will be freely like, expressing quote unquote different behaviors to maximize affection. And that also maximizes the reinforcer for me. He would start, uh, if you know, it's like the, 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 he start rocking back and forth and right and left. And then the way his facial expression changes for me, that's reinforcing. So it's, it's, we are maximizing reinforcer together. Yeah. So that was so affectionate moment for me. And one last tip that I have for everybody out there is to not assume too much about what your animals may or may not like. And, um, you know, there's, some interesting things out there. You know, I actually hear a lot of a lot of individuals tell me that horses don't like to be pet. Um, a lot, I've also heard that horses don't like to be pet on their face. And I've actually, I've got several horses. I got pictures I can show you of horses resting their faces on my body while I'm petting them. And they're just melting all over me. Um, it, it's not that there's an innate type of petting or, or touch that they're just going to not like. Um, it's all how the program and how the contingency is presented, you know, the, you as the occasioning stimulus and then that behavior and what happens. And so we can help animals learn how to contact more reinforcement that's available. And this is one of those cool ways to do it. But one interesting thing, too, is you wouldn't think that a tortoise, for example, would like to be stroked on their shell. But they do. Yeah. And, and we've actually got some funny video of like this... When the, these tortoises, there's three of them, when their human comes into this big, like, penned-in area, because they'll let them, like, roam around the living room. When they come into the living room area, the tortoises will, like, run as fast <laughs> as they can to this human to be just gently stroked, sometimes scratched on their shells. And the funny thing is, too, is, like, the tortoises even like their bellies to be tickled. And they'll actually walk up, and they'll stand really tall to let you get under there to their tummies to have them tickled. Um, You know, we might assume that some animals might not like these things, but if we set the right contingencies and program it for them to be able to contact the nice things that are available through these interactions, oftentimes we can be surprised. Yeah. So the final quote from uh, Dr. Sue Mako and Israel Goldman and Joe Lynn, everything is in the program. (laughs) It's in the contingency past and present. So we have to examine the program in a very detail to reach our goal. Right. And this marks the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the content. And if you would like to be a part of further development and application of constructional affection, please join the CALP membership. To join the CALP membership, simply go to caawt.com forward slash caawt hyphen membership. Also check out and register for the third annual CALP conference. We will put the link in the description below. 
If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast or share it with your friend. And feel free to get more information or reach out to us on our website, caawt.com, or our Facebook page, Construction Approach to Animal Welfare and Training, Instagram at npo underbar caawt, or you can always email us at caawtcontact at gmail.com. Thank you so much again for joining us today. We are your host, I am Masa. And I am Sean. Have a wonderful day with your amazing animal companions. <laughs>